This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hey, this is Sal Palantonio of ESPN, and you're listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest for Two podcast. I tell you what, guys, I'm going to stand up and shout, welcome to the iTest for Two podcast. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we're both Hall of Fame voters, as you should know by now. And now we're joined by, yes, our Hall of Fame producer, as we always are, that would be Ian Glendon and resident Tom Brady lapdog. And before we go farther, guys, I'll just let you know uh, for our listeners, that intro was the 1979 original Tampa Bay Bucks song. Now, Ian and Ira both live in the Tampa area. Ira lives in Tampa, covered the Bucks, covers them today. Ian moved down from New England, correct, Ian? And lives in St. Petersburg, Florida. So he's in the Tampa Bay area. And guys, be honest, you both stood up and saluted that fight song, didn't you? <laughs> My heart is racing over there, Clark. It's racing. <laughs> <laughs> Only to be rivaled by San Diego Supercharger song. Oh, now you're going close to my heart. I love that, too. Uh, well, anyway, uh, both these guys, as I said, live in the Tampa Bay area. And the Super Bowl is going to be there in a week and a half. And the Tampa Bay Bucks, or Ian Shai called them the Tampa Bay Bucks, they're going to be in it for the first time that a Super Bowl team hosts a Super Bowl in its home stadium. Now, before we get to our guest, I want to ask you quickly, because I thought that was very cool what happened last week, a lot of historic moments, but especially that Super Bowl coming back to the host stadium. What's the mood down there in Tampa? Ira, you live there. I mean, I lived in New York. If it were the Giants, they'd be honking horns in Manhattan. What, what's the mood down there in, uh, in, in Tampa? Well, the mood down there is thousands of people coming out at midnight, Sunday night, to greet the Tampa Bay Bucks um, at, the, at the airport. Uh, when Brady's uh, car went, went by, they, they stopped in front of it. They wouldn't let him go any further. They I, wanted to yank him out of the car and hug him. I think um, I saw Ian there. Was you, Ian was there, wasn't he? <laughs> and, and Gary no was comment. there with a tape recorder. Can I get a couple <laughs> of words over there, Tom? But um, uh, it's pandemonium. But Clark, having said that, it's a little bit muted, more than sure. more so than it would be normally. You don't see the public signs of affection, the gatherings at the bars. But believe me, there is buck fever raging down here. And Clark, I never thought little Tampa, Florida would be the sports capital of America with the lightning winning the cup. Right. The Rays got to the World Series and the Bucks have already made history. Clark, uh, it's quite a time for a Tampa Bay sports fan. Yeah, I think <laughs> the people in L.A. might quibble with you there, Ira, you know, with the Dodgers and the Lakers and oh, the Rams weren't so good. But anyway, um, and I've got a question for you before we move on. Have you gone out? I mentioned that you were in New England. Have you gone out yet and replaced your Patriots number 12 jersey with a Bucks number 12 jersey? I don't see you wearing it today. 
No, I, w- I won't do that. Maybe uh, maybe after his career is over, I might add it to the collection with the uh, Michigan and, and Patriots jersey, but uh, I will not wear a Bucks jersey. Sorry, Bucks fans. Yeah, well, good thing Ira's not wearing it either because he's got to be in the press box for the Super Bowl. Well, speaking of Tom Brady, you guys are both in for a treat today because we have with us today, in fact, we have it with us right now, Hall of Fame voter who knows more about Tom Brady than most people in the media, almost anyone in the media, and almost anyone outside the Tom Brady domicile, and that's Gary Myers. Gary and I go way back to uh, 1982 when the, uh, when I was covering the Colts and, and the, he was covering the Cowboys. They made a trade for a kicker. We go that far back, four decades. Anyway, Gary wrote the best-selling book, Brady versus Manning, and he now hosts the GOAT Tom Brady podcast. And Gary, first of all, thanks for joining us. And tell you nice timing how good for you and your podcast that here we have tom brady at the age of 43 in his fourth super bowl in the past five years already 2021 is better than 2020 for you right you know it's pretty amazing when um when my brady manning book came out well just as i was finishing it brady and the patriots beat the seahawks Three months after it came out, Brady and Manning played in the AFC Championship game, and then Manning won the Super Bowl. And the following year, Brady won the Super Bowl. And now, as my podcast is going on, Brady makes it to another Super Bowl. So this is a little bit of an advertisement right now. If there's a quarterback out there that wants to play in the Super Bowl, contact me to write your book or do your podcast. And it's a virtual guarantee. (laughs) Hey, Ian, could we do that podcast next? I'd like to jump ahead of him in line here and get a podcast lined up with, I don't know, Matt Stafford, somebody. Let's get somebody else in here. Aaron Rodgers, wherever he's going to play next year. Hey, uh, Gary, question for you. And and I've talked to you this week about it, but the fact that he's in his 10th Super Bowl, and we know all the achievements, but the age of 43, he's in his 10th Super Bowl. I don't know if it matters whether he wins it or loses it. The fact that he's there and it's in Tampa – in the stadium where they play the first time anyone's done it. And it's Tom Brady. Do you consider this the greatest achievement of his career or do we have to wait another week and a half to see what transpires in the Super Bowl? Well, with all due respect to the Bucks and having won the Super Bowl in 2002, um, he took over a team that was considered dysfunctional and has been considered dysfunctional almost from the time that they came into the league. So turning around the culture, changing people's perspective on this team in four months is pretty incredible. Now he did walk into a situation where they had a lot of talent on that team, but to do what he's done this year is pretty amazing. Um, Does he need to win the Super Bowl to be this, his most incredible accomplishment, just getting this far? Clark, as I mentioned to you once before, I think, you know, taking over in New England when he did um, an 0-2 team that had been 5-11 and the year before, you know, when Drew Bledsoe, Bledsoe got injured. And although he's more of a game manager that year, um, and he threw only three passes as a rookie the year before, I, I think that still stands out to me mm-hmm. as his most incredible accomplishment, it, it, considering that he had a game-winning drive at the end to lead to Venetieri's field goal to beat the Rams who were favored by like 14 to 15 points Yeah. here, you know, before the season, if you were going to ask me if I'd be shocked, if the Bucks got to the Super Bowl, I would probably say no. I mean, you look at the offensive town uh, around him, they have a good defense. 
It was really a ready-made situation. So it was just a question of could he overcome not having an offseason and how long would it take for his um, philosophy of offense and the way he liked to run it mesh with Bruce Arians after 12 games at seven and five? I think it was kind of a mess, but they got it together during the bye week. Ari, I mean, you look, you're there, you know, something must have happened during the bye week where they threw out all the plays that weren't working and they identified the plays that were working and they've won seven in a row since then. But I think Gary's exactly really right. your question. I think that yeah. I, I would still count 2001 as his greatest accomplishment, whether or not he wins this Super Bowl. Gary, I, I want to ask you something about the aura surrounding Tom Brady. And I think you'd agree with me, Gary, that there's certain athletes, not many, not many. Tiger Woods springs to mind. Michael Jordan springs to mind. That attracts the casual sports fan, Gary, the casual sports mm -hmm. fan. And Brady is in that group, and it's a small group. Gary, is it all because of the rings, or is there something uh, surrounding the Tom Brady story that um, interests the casual sports fan? Well, I, I don't think it's hurt that he's married to one of the more recognizable women in the world. So when you put the two of them together, um, I mean, they're quite a power couple. But he, he was already reaching that status before he even met her. But I, I think being with her has kind of enhanced his, his visibility, going to a lot of different events together. And, you know, photographers are much more interested in, in them together as a couple than maybe they would be with either one of individually. But I, I think his story also is very appealing to people where he walked onto the campus at University of Michigan. He was a seventh string quarterback, uh, despite a 20 and five record at the University of Michigan. He gets drafted in the sixth round, 199th player, seventh quarterback taken, seventh player taken by the Patriots that year. So it's like, okay, Belichick identified that maybe he could be the end of the roster player, a third string quarterback. But if he thought he was that going to be great, he wouldn't have picked six players ahead of him in that draft and another player ahead of him in the sixth round of that draft. I think you put all these factors together combined with the rings, which obviously uh, validates him. Um, and he is an iconic figure. And a, a lot of people hold him up on a much higher level than say Peyton Manning, who, has a zillion commercials. I think, think I just think that Tom is looked upon differently. Um, Gary, I, um, I want to congratulate you. You've written some very, very entertaining, informative books, Gary. And, and, uh, and there's, and there's more books in your future. Gary question. How did you crack the Brady inner circle? You know, he, he at times is a very private guy, Gary. How, how'd you, how'd you gain his confidence? And it's trust. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a really good question, Ira. I had known him a little bit before coming up with the book project, just by being around him in Super Bowls like we all have been. Um, and then, you know, covering a lot of Patriots-Jets games. But I was nothing more than a face in the crowd to him. I mean, I never – I think I had spoken to him once, one-on-one, -on -one, um, in the first 10 years of his career. I went to training camp in the summer of 2013, and I waited for him – to um, finish his group interview. My son was just starting two weeks later at Michigan as a freshman. 
So when Brady finished his interview, I went up and introduced myself to him again. And he had known my face, but I'm not sure he knew my name. And, you know, I just started off talking about how my son was standing, starting in Ann Arbor in a couple of weeks. And um, we, we just broke the ice that way. And I told him about this book project that I was thinking about doing about him and, and Manning and how I looked at it as magic versus bird. And he loved the idea. I mean, he was very um, enthusiastic about the project, even though I wasn't going to do it in collaboration with them. It wasn't an as told to story. It was, I was just doing the research and I just needed his cooperation. And, and he was more than happy. Now it turns out the Patriots called me two weeks later and said, okay, Tom, we'll talk to you on Thursday. Can you come back up? And I said, uh, I'll be driving to Ann Arbor that day. And I've always had my priorities, right? Family comes first. And I didn't get to talk to him again until right before, I didn't get to set up the interview with him again until right before Thanksgiving. I mean, it was three months later before we can find a, a date that he was available. And then all credit to Stacy James, the Patriots PR guy for giving me a choice. You can talk to Tom in the quarterback meeting room after practice and he'll give you 20 minutes because he likes to get home to his family after practice or you can ride with him. He was living in downtown Boston at the time he goes, with your luck, hopefully there'll be some traffic and it'll take an hour. And then, you know, if Tom likes where the conversation is going, he'll probably sit with you in the car for a while, which is exactly what happened. I chose the car ride and um, it was probably the best interview I've ever done in my career. You mean outside of this? Well, this is when I'm asking the question. <laughs> it goes without saying, this is the best interview I've ever had when you guys are at, when I'm being asked questions. We're with Gary Myers, who's the host of the GOAT Tom Brady podcast. And uh, Gary, that was a smart decision, by the way, to choose to go in the car because anyone in New England, and I live in New England, who drives 95 from Foxborough to Boston knows at 4.30 or 5.30, whenever you left, whatever it was, there's going to be traffic and it's going to be gridlock going into Boston. So you probably got a long interview there. Well, I, uh, Clark, let me just tell you this. The only downside to that ride was I left my car at Gillette and he just dropped me at a hotel two blocks from his apartment so I can take a cab back to, um, to my car. And when you write a book, the expenses come out of your pocket. You know, there's no... Right. Uh, there's expense account to hand that into it was an 80 dollar car car ride taxi ride back to my car but it, it was worth the 80 bucks um, <laughs> yeah well, i've read the book and so is ira it was worth the 80 bucks for readers too well, that was a great you. story that was really great story now i want to follow up on ira's question uh, since you got into that inner circle i'll just ask the obvious question what makes this guy special in your mind i mean he lasted until the 199th pick in the draft we know that seventh string quarterback at Michigan. No one identified what was going on with him. And I know from talking to him and also to people in the 49ers, a team I covered in 2000, they had no interest in him in the draft. Remember that they, they drafted Gio Carmazzi with a third pick and then took another quarterback later. But Tim Rattay. Uh, yeah, Tim Rattay, that's right. And so when I talked to Mariucci, who was then the coach of San Francisco, I said, yeah, we had him in for a workout. But it was 45 minutes and nothing was special about him. There really was nothing special. What we didn't know, what was what was inside of him. If we had known that, what drives this guy, the competitive spirit, what drives this guy to be the best, maybe we would have drafted him. I don't know. But you've talked to him. You've watched him like the rest of us. But you are in sort of that inner circle. What makes this guy an extraordinary quarterback that others didn't see? 
Well, you know, the first thing I can tell you is that um, Tom Brady Sr. told me that he didn't get involved in, in uh, Tom's decision where he could go to school. It was between Cal, Illinois, I believe, and, and Michigan. All he told him was, hey, Tom, this is not going to be your life's work. We have to be realistic about this. You're probably not going to be an NFL quarterback. So I want you to pick a school that you're proud to get a degree from. So it wasn't only the NFL that was doubting him. His dad going into him being a freshman at Michigan was very realistic about what he thought he had. There. I mean, I'm sure Jack Elway knew that when John went to Stanford, that if he wasn't going to be the first pick in the draft, he'd be a first round pick. Yeah. Right. So I think Tom has um, kind of embraced the underdog role Um not that he wanted it, but the fact that it was such a struggle to get on the field at Michigan. And then when he finally, his fourth year in the program when he was a junior, they had recruited Drew Henson, who was a three-sports star from not far away in Brighton, Michigan, just up the road from Ann Arbor. And, um, you know, I'll tell you an interesting story that um, George Steinbrenner, you know, Henson had signed that Yankee contract. Yeah, right. George Steinbrenner wanted him to come play baseball right away. Steinbrenner was a huge Ohio State supporter. And the feeling in Michigan was that Steinbrenner was being so aggressive, trying to get Brady, I mean, trying to get, I'm sorry, trying to get Henson to play baseball because he was supposed to be like the next Elway. And so he wanted to get him out of Michigan to help Ohio State <laughs> get his baseball career going. <laughs> and it actually worked against Brady because Lloyd Carr, who had recruited Henson, wanted to keep Henson because he was supposed to be great. So the first year Brady was starting, he let Henson um, uh, play one series a game. And then the second year, Brady's last year, Brady played the first half. Henson played this, I'm sorry, Brady played the first quarter. Henson played the second quarter and Carr would decide at halftime who would play the second half. I mean, can you imagine that? And it was only until about halfway through the season that he finally decided, I'm going with Brady the rest of the way. And then they beat Alabama in the Orange Bowl, and Brady throws for almost 400 yards, four touchdowns, but there was one series in the game that he put in Drew Henson in the middle of a nearly 400-yard game. So he comes into the NFL with a humongous chip on his shoulder as the 199th pick, and that has driven him his entire career he never wanted to let Matt Castle have a snap with the first team offense in practice because he didn't want Belichick to ever have a thought in his head that there was another quarterback that was capable of doing his job better than Brady so I think that whole Michigan experience has really formulated his mindset through his entire career you know it's a great story and especially where he is now the age of 43 and, and the, the achievements, the history he's made. It's a great story. Why do so many people outside of New England really dislike this guy? And then, and it borders on hatred too. I don't get it. I mean, you, you talked about, there was mention of Michael Jordan by Ira. People love Michael Jordan, you know? Tiger Woods, it's a little bit different. He's polarized people, but someone who's this good um, in his career, what he does, people should, marvel at it and embrace it and celebrate it. Instead, they can't wait for him to fail. I don't understand that. 
Well, I think part of it is he's been sucked into the evil empire in New England. You know, the, Belichick is is hated outside of New England. Mm-hmm. I think part of that, Brady has become part of that to a certain extent by extension. I mean, it's also because he's successful. He, uh, I mean, he's a nice looking guy. I think we can all can admit that we're all secure enough in our own, you know, that he's, that the women, the women love him. And um, he, he married a, uh, you know, a, a supermodel. Um, he's got a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, there isn't much about his life that people, that some people are not envious of. Right. And I think that we, um, it, we tend to, with sports heroes to build them up just so we can try to knock them down. Right. And I think he's a perfect example of that. Is it, is it jealousy, Gary? Um. You know, I can see other players being jealous of him, but you know, just a a sports fan, why would you be jealous of somebody who's got? Because he's got everything. He's got everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that people are jealous of that aspect of it for sure. Now, I know that Ira thinks he's much better looking than Tom, and, um, <laughs> and you would agree. And you would agree. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think there are you know some probably some guys out there that you know have girlfriends that. Um, admire Tom for one reason or another. And, and maybe that causes some resentment. And I mean, I don't think I'm saying anything, you know, unusual here, that there's just a lot that he has going for him that people say, well, can, can something go wrong for him? And, and maybe that the only thing that they can envision going wrong for him is losing Super Bowls. Yep. And um, Gary, you know, it's, um, it, Gary, it's kind of the way other sports writers look at you, Gary, you know, you, you got I, it I, all. I I don't think so, Ira, but I, I appreciate uh, saying that. <laughs> Gary, I want to get your perspective. <laughs> Gary, your perspective on um, there's a narrative coming out of New England. You know this. Um, and it's uh, very popular that uh, this was a referendum on Brady and Belichick. Let's see what's going on. Separate them and see what happens. Well, we know what happened in New England. We know what happened here in Tampa. Um is that too easy uh, a, a narrative, uh, Gary? Is, is Belichick done uh, without Brady? I think you could make the argument, Gary, that Brady covered up a lot of problems those last few years in Foxborough. Right. Oh, I would definitely agree with that. Um, when, when you look at the, at the skill position players that uh, Brady had around him, say, the last 10 years, you, you had Gronk, who was you know, an all-time tight end, but seemed to be hurt half the time. And, and, you know, Julian Edelman, who was a Super Bowl MVP, but, you know, on another team would probably just be an average receiver. And then, and then who else would you really say, you know, was an all pro or pro ball caliber skill position player that he had? I mean, there really isn't anybody. Um, so I, I do agree that Brady covered up for a lot of the shortcomings in Belichick's, you know, personnel decisions. I also think what happened this season is predictable, Ira, that if you were to pick one team between the Bucs and Patriots that were going to struggle, certainly it would be New England. They're in a rebuilding mode. They're in transition here as Belichick tries to find, he's never going to find the next Brady, but as he tries to find himself a playoff quarterback. And Brady walks into a situation like we talked about earlier that was ready-made for success. They just need to have a quarterback who wasn't going to throw 30 interceptions. Who were they seven and nine last year with a quarterback? Yes. yes. Seven pick sixes or something like that. 
I mean, that, that was an indication right there. They had a lot of talent on that team. They just needed to switch out the quarterback and get, a, get him a guy that can win games rather than a guy that was going to lose games. But as far as the Brady-Belichick argument, I, I would look at it this way. I think that Brady needed Belichick at the beginning. First, he needed him to draft him. And then he needed him to teach him about the NFL and to develop him. And they had Charlie Weiss there, who was a really good offensive coordinator. But once it became apparent that Brady was a special player, and maybe that was in 2003 when he won his second Super Bowl, and he was going to win two out of the first three years he was a starter, then won three out of four his first years as a starter. I think we all knew at that point, covering the NFL, that Tom Brady was a pretty special player. I think from that point forward, he became much more important to New England's success than Belichick. Belichick, I don't want to say he was putting slop around him because he did have a period there where he had Randy Moss and Wes Welker. But for the most part, he never had the weapons that, say, Peyton had in Indianapolis with with, uh, Marvin Harrison and and Reggie Wayne and Dallas Clark. So I think if you have to pick one that was responsible for the last 20 years in New England, and you can't just say it was a tie that needed each other, but if you had to pick one, I would definitely say it was Brady. Gary, one more for me. Thanks uh, so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Gary, do you get the sense, knowing Tom the way you do and listening to him, that he kind of feels liberated and empowered with this new organization in terms of having a lot of input, a lot of clout? We know about Antonio Brown. He got Gronk. Fournette came aboard. And Brady's in the middle of all of that, Gary. He's a driving force i'm not going to say he's the general manager of this football team but gary is there a sense you can tell that brady loves this new power that he has well you know for 25 million dollars the bucks got themselves a quarterback and a de facto general manager i mean i know jason light is is the gm and but you know with with fournette um i'm not sure how what tom's influence was on that but I'm sure they talked to him about it first. Gronk and Antonio Brown were definitely, you know, Brady telling them, I want these guys on my, on the team. I I think that he's been liberated um, by playing for Bruce Arians, who is a much more laid back coach, more of a player's coach. I I think early in his career, it was okay for Belichick to yell at him and make an example out of him in the team meetings and on the practice field, because Tom realized that Belichick was basically telling the team, if I can yell at Brady after winning two Super Bowls, after winning three Super Bowls, and he, I wasn't getting any pushback from him, then none of you guys can ever complain by me getting mad at you. And I think Brady lived with that for about 10 years. And then I think it started to wear him down. And he's going, wait a minute. I got three rings on my finger. I got four. And you're still treating me if it's, it's 2002. When is this going to stop? And I just think he got tired of that. Um, and he also got tired of taking a below market contract with the idea that Belichick was going to take that money and make sure the team stayed Super Bowl caliber. And then he looked around in 2019 and he had no one to throw the ball to. And he's going, where's my money going? I've saved you all this money, but what are you spending it on? So I think getting to Tampa, again, having a ready-made team and then bringing in a couple of his buddies. I haven't talked to Tom in a while. But just, you know, observing him in these interviews, he seems happier and looser than I I have seen him in the last 10 years. We're with Hall of Fame uh, voter 
Gary Myers, who's the host of the Goat Tom Brady podcast. And Gary, uh, there's a documentary out there that you may be aware of, maybe not, but it's called Four Games in the Fall. And it basically annihilates the NFL for the Deflategate scandal. Uh, there are, I think, nearly two hours of scientists, lawyers, and professors debunking the theory that Brady or anyone deflated footballs in the 2014 conference championship game. Um, first of all, have you heard of it? Secondly, have you seen it? And thirdly, what do you think of the idea? I've heard about it and I've read about it. I haven't seen it, but I do want to see it. And um, without any real scientific research behind me, I, from the beginning, was writing this was a bunch of garbage when it first came out in 2015. And um, I'm not sure where you guys stood on it, but um, I, I just didn't think there was anything to it. And I, I think as the years have gone on, um, I, I think a lot of us have come to realize that if the balls were indeed deflated, it was probably because it was a pretty cold day in New England that day and it was raining out. And um, the natural gas, is it the natural gas law? Yeah, that's right. Probably more responsible for it than, than any of those Patriots equipment guys that they claimed put a needle to the ball and let the air out. So, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. One of the reasons I really believe that Brady didn't do it, and I still believe it to this day, is about three months later. And I was at this point, I was already writing. I thought it was a bunch of garbage. But what really convinced me, I was sitting in Robert Kraft's office. And I haven't really told this story before. Um, I was sitting in his office, and he says to me, and we started talking about Deflategate. And he goes, the morning after Deflategate, Tom was sitting exactly where you're sitting. So Kraft was behind his desk. I was just sitting in in front of the desk. And he says, Tom, just tell me now, if you did anything, just tell me now, I'm going to get on the phone with Roger. We're going to be forthcoming with him. And I'll make this go away before ever anything really gets out of control here. We'll fess up to it. We'll say it was a mistake that this, and that, whatever it is, tell me now and I'll take care of it for you. And he said that Brady looked him in the eye and swore on the life of his children that he didn't know about it and that he didn't do any, that he, that he didn't have anything to do with it and he didn't know about it and had no idea how those balls got deflated. He swore on the life of his children. And I know as being a father that if I'm going to ever swear on the life of my children, I better damn well be telling the truth. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with that you. Was such, that was so powerful. Yeah. That I, I just can't imagine it, knowing Tom the way I've gotten to know him over the years. And listen, mainly it was during the final years in New England. And the last few years, I had my contact with him hasn't been the same. But getting to know him the way that I did and knowing how he feels about his family and his kids and his parents and how he was brought up and having his own father tell me that there's no way his son did this. I just, I, I just reverted to like my instincts here in, in trusting people and, and, you know, counting on people being forthcoming and truthful, basic human nature. And that's why I believed them. And maybe, maybe I'm being naive. I don't uh, know. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. I mean, honestly, I, I was uh, outraged by it. 
And I wrote about that. And my wife got sick and tired of hearing about it. She said, let's move on to a different subject. I said, they've railroaded <laughs> this guy. They've railroaded him. I don't understand this. And we were living in Manhattan at the time. And I was talking to somebody who is uh, very high in the NFL office. And he said, what are we doing here? What are we doing? We've got the poster boy for the league and we're dragging this thing through the mud. What are we doing? Just, I don't care, find him 25,000 and make it go away. But instead we keep it in front of the public and we really don't have a case. And it ultimately came down to, does Roger Goodell have the power to suspend him or not? And the answer is yeah, I'm mean, the CBA gave him that power, but it was based to me on really nothing. There was just such flimsy evidence and science was used to basically come to the conclusion that they already come to. But that said, that said to me, there was something very positive that came out of that. And that was a commercial that ran afterwards. And I think it might've been a year later. So anyway, during his suspension, the four game suspension was a Foot Locker commercial and was outstanding. And if you don't remember it and Ira doesn't remember it, I want you to listen to it right now because Ian's got it. Ian, let's take a listen to it. Week of Greatness brought it again for the fifth year. How is it possible it keeps getting better even after all these years? Kind of makes you wonder what Foot Locker is up to. You know, that's an unfortunate mindset you got there. Tom Brady. Just because something's great year after year doesn't mean anything's going on. Why can't some things just be great? Just a question. It starts with questions and then questions turn into assumptions and then assumptions turn into vacations. So why would you punish the Week of Greatness for something that never even happened? I lost my appetite. It's a great ad. It was a great ad. Unfortunately, we don't have the visual, but a great ad. And honestly, when I saw that, that convinced me because he doesn't do many commercials. You know that. Like you said, Manny does a ton of stuff. He really doesn't. But when I saw that, he was so outraged and he wanted to go on TV with that. And I thought the emotion was genuine. And what he said, you know, why would you do that? It's a good question. Why would you do that? I, I have no idea. To this day, I have no idea. Let me, I want to ask you guys a question here. And I've been thinking about this the last couple of days. You know, you heard that story came out where, you know, his dad was in the hospital for 18 days for COVID and his yeah. mom, who's a cancer survivor, contracted it also early September. And then I watched Brady on the sidelines. And Ira, you, maybe you know this, maybe somebody asked him this question during the season. You watch Brady on the sidelines during the games and you see him on the field hugging players after games and he's not wearing a mask considering that it only makes the health reasons, first of all, everybody should wear a mask. We know that. And then considering that his father was in the hospital for 18 days with coronavirus. If he wasn't wearing a mask before that, you know, on the field in, in these situations, and certainly during the season, he should have been wearing a mask. And those, you know, when he went and shook hands and hugged players after games or just sitting on the bench, Ira, do you have, I mean, you've been around them virtually this year. I mean, how do you, how do you explain a bright guy like this who has personal experience now to rely on that his parents were pretty sick? His father was in the hospital for more than two weeks. How can he not wear a mask and then go home after a game to his wife and kids? I don't understand that. Maybe he's got a sense, Gary, a misguided sense that uh, he's Tom Brady and nothing can happen to him. But having said that, Gary, you can transmit it to other people, too. And, and you're of right. Of course. That's right. Sure. And, and he sits on that bench and he looks at that iPad, Gary, when, when the defense is on the field, no mask. And the Bucks are very strict about protocols, uh, especially with, with a 68-year-old head coach, Gary. So it, it's a real mystery I might ask him that this week if I can squeeze my way onto that Zoom call, Gary. 
You know, watching him after games, hugging players in the Packers that I would have to think he, he doesn't know. I mean, no player knows all the other players on another team. And, you know, then hugging, going over to the stands and hugging his son, who fortunately had a mask on. And, um, and I, don't, I don't think Aaron Rodgers had a mask. He had his helmet on, which yeah, doesn't right. really provide you with much protection. And then, you know, hugging Bruce Arians, like you just mentioned, the 68-year-old coach who's had some health problems over the years. I would have to think that in the, in the facility, you know, Monday through Friday or whatever it is now, Wednesday through Friday, Wednesday through Saturday, that right. he's got to wear a mask because I think they're pretty strict about that. And the NFL has cameras set up that it can actually see if there's anybody violating the protocols. But I don't get it. He hasn't been criticized for it this year. Um, again, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I just don't understand. When you, have, when you think, I don't know what the, how many people watched that game the other day against Green Bay you know, 40, 40 million people, maybe 150 million or so are going to watch the Super Bowl. It could be the most watched Super Bowl ever. Tom Brady is a role model. Mm-hmm. There are kids watching this game and saying, you know, why do I have to wear a mask? Tom Brady's not wearing a mask. And he's taken his, his, his responsibility so seriously as a role model over the years. Again, I, keep, I hate to keep saying it. I, ju- I just don't get it. And especially when something hits so close to home, with his parents that he's still not taking what you'd think to be every precaution possible to make sure he doesn't get it. Because we know there are players that are playing games that haven't been diagnosed yet because it can see your body for a few days. Why, why would you take that chance? It's hard enough playing the game, you know, and getting tackled on a guy be laying on top of you that you don't know, you can't, you're not wearing a mask then. So there's nothing you can do to prevent it. But there are certain situations you know, on the bench after games, greeting players from other teams, that you can certainly take every precaution. And I just don't understand why he hasn't been doing it and why there are a bunch of players that haven't been doing it. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand either. And I guess we're going to have to wait on Ira asking that question next week. Yeah, Ira. I really hope you get to ask him, Ira. I, um, I'll, I'll raise my hand and, uh, and I demand recognition. <laughs> uh, my, Gary, who, Gary, who are you picking? Yeah, who, who wins, Gary? Gary? Well, I was gonna, I was gonna tell you, don't do what Clark did on the Hall of Fame call when they say hit the raise the hand button, and he starts raising his I was hand. Going, I was going like this. <laughs> I don't have the button on my machine. I'm going over here. <laughs> who are you picking, Gary? You know what? Um, I would have been really interested to see, and this is like probably number nine ninety nine on the horrible things that have happened during the pandemic. It is so far down the list we can't see it. But I would have really liked to see what the crowd would have been like with a home team playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And right. Whether the Buck fans would have flooded the secondary market and it would have been 85% Buck fans or whether it would have been a usual corporate crowd and made it a real home field advantage. Um, that being said, I mean, I, I really think that the Chiefs are unstoppable. But the reason I'm going to pick the Bucks in this game is I just think in this very bizarre and unique season – um, Tom Brady at the age of 43 in his first year with a team, the first time a home team has ever played, this uh, team has ever played a Super Bowl on its home field. I, I just think that it's the perfect way to end this season. And besides, if you go back to the game and more of an Exodus point of view, if you go back to the game they played November 29th, when for some reason Tyreek Hill in Todd Bowles' game plan was being singled up for the first quarter and he had seven catches for 203 yards and three touchdowns, which 
is unbelievable. I think to that point, no player had had 200 yards in a game, the wide receiver, and, and Tyreek Hill got it in the first quarter, for God's sakes. And then they doubled him the rest of the game, and he had three catches for 66 yards and a touchdown, which is still a good game, but it's not quite what he did in the first quarter. I think that the Bucs are really going to go to school on that first game and figure out a way to control Hill, who is so explosive and so fast. And if they get the safeties back, if both of them are healthy, I think they'll be able to keep him under control. And then I think the Bucs offense can be just as explosive um, as Kansas City's offense if, if Tampa Bay can prevent Hill from just, you know, going 70 yards after a 15-yard catch. So I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game. Three of the four games that Brady and Mahomes have played against each other have been wild shootouts. I think this could be the same. But I, I just kind of feel the ending to the season will be with Brady holding the trophy. The only problem is Ira reminds us all the time, Gary, is you take away Hill, then you got Kelsey. He's a problem. And Buffalo discovered right. that. Buffalo discovered that. Yeah, but, you know, I, I agree with you there, Clark, but Kelsey, Kelsey is incredibly productive but he's not explosive like Hill. I no, mean, that's Hill's right. right. Games from their own 10 yard line. Kelsey will make a 35 year old catch, 35 year yard catch. Right. Uh, Hill will take that catch and go 90 yards. So I think he's the key to stopping him. And then you don't know what their running game is going to be either. If, if they'll have some player, you know, Hilaire and Edwards Hilaire and Le'Veon Bell, if, if those guys will be back for that game. Hey, Gary, yeah. you want to tell our listeners about your podcast? Sure, you can uh, you can get it wherever you get your favorite podcast. Where you can get Clark and Iris podcast. You can get mine. Mine's on Apple and um, really all the different podcast sites. It's called the Go Tom Brady, and uh, I'm getting ready to go tape this week's episode, which is going to be with Tom Brady Senior. I talked to him and Dan Shaughnessy, the columnist in the Boston Globe. I spoke with him mm-hmm. just about what the reaction is in Boston about Brady getting to a Super Bowl without Belichick and the Patriots. And then the rest of the podcast, the one episodes one through 12 are really just taking the listeners on a journey through Brady's career with a lot of the interviews that I did for my Brady Manning book. The podcast really brings the book to life because then you can hear the interviews yourselves. And um, I think it's kind of a fun listen, just like your podcast is a fun listen. So you're not going to get Belichick on this week. No. (laughs) That um, was a joke, Gary. No, I want to tell you that I, I sat next to Belichick at the uh, at the Blue Ribbon panel thing in Canton. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't get a word in with Belichick because <laughs> you 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 were jarring with him for three hours. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Ira. Nine hours. It's the first time I'd spoken to him in more than twenty years. Wow. He and I uh, were not exactly exchanging uh, holiday cards up to that point. And when he sat down next to me, he had already had his loose leaf binders down there. I didn't realize it was him when I sat down. Remember, it was me, then, then Barry, and you were on the other side. Yeah. And I just decided, listen, I only got, you only talk to the people, you know, on either side of you, because you can kind of whisper during the conversations. I've gone, if he's not talking to me and I'm not talking to him, all I got left is talk to is Barry, and he's got John Zarnecki on the other side. I'm just going to say hello to him. And if he, if he wants to ignore me, then so be it. We had the best time. I'm telling you, I had a great time talking to him off and on for nine hours. It was really a lot of fun. I saw a side of him I hadn't seen since his early days coaching the Giants. Yeah, he told I, us he really enjoyed his time with Larry Myers. 
Yeah, I was going to say, he probably has forgotten that he even spoke to me. You know, to tell you the truth, I actually exchanged about five different emails with him over the last few months. Wow. Nothing since the season started when they started losing. <laughs> but I, I, I wanted him to come on this podcast. I mean, I asked him. I really, and I thought, you know, my newfound best friend would come on with me. But um, he's all kinds of excuses why he didn't think it would be appropriate. So. So be it. You know, Clark, I, I was trying to get Belichick to give me a quote on John Lynch that I can bring into the darn Zoom call. And uh, every time I look up, he's engaged with uh, Gary Myers. I never <laughs> say anything like it. Yeah. Well, last year, we didn't have a Zoom call last year. We did it in person. No, I'm saying I could use on that. I could use on this Zoom call yeah, on this last week. Oh, on this Zoom call. Well, no, I mean, it was it was just a one day I talked to him. You had another 364 days to get a hold of him. <laughs> well, by the time I finally got him when the food came out and, and you let him go for a minute, Gary, I asked him about Lynch and he says, John Lynch, I'm trying to get Rodney Harris in it. Step aside. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> I, I, I do want to tell you this in all honesty, guys. He initiated conversations with me during those nine hours as much, if not more, than I did with him. He was very curious about the process. Um, he had a lot of very good questions. He was asking me why Tagliabu wasn't in at that point. Um, he, he really, he was very engaged that day. I, I, I'm really glad I wound up sitting next to him because not only did it break the ice on our relationship, but I, I mean, I asked him a bunch of questions that I, I found his answers, you know, very educational. Gary Myers, host of the GOAT Tom Brady podcast, and apparently future host of the GOAT Bill Belichick podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. And I would say we'll see you in Tampa, but I'm not going to be there. These two guys will. You'll I'm see. not going to be there either. But yeah, well, you'll see them in the stand somewhere cheering. I know Ian will be making a noise for himself. But anyway, Gary, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's my pleasure, guys, anytime. Yeah, that thanks, Gary. <laughs> that was Hall of Fame voter Gary Myers, who, as we should know by now, is a Tom Brady podcast. And our, you're in Tampa. Next move. When are we getting Tom Brady on this podcast? Uh, I'm working on it. First, I'm going to ask him why he's not wearing a mask. And I immediately <laughs> segue into, uh, hey, you know, Clark Judge. Come on. We, we need you, Tommy. We yeah, need that, you. that should do it. I'll just tell you, I'm not going to stay up waiting. Hey, Ira, that's going to do it for today. But we're going to be back tomorrow. You want to tell listeners who we've got? I believe we have the man that earned the nickname The Don, D-O-N, from The Godfather, uh, when he was playing for 14 seasons. We got Al Pacino. Uniform, and he's got a gold jacket. He might be wearing it tomorrow. His name's Derek Brooks. And we're going to welcome him to our podcast tomorrow. Yeah, I look forward to it. And you should, too. This is the talk of fame. No, it's not. It's the I, I test for two. I've done that two weeks in a row. <laughs> I, I've done that two weeks in a row. Anyway, yeah, that sounds good. I, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, you should too. This is the I test for two podcast. We and, want to. Thank and you, you can find me, Clark. You can find me at, at iKaufman76 oh, on and Twitter. In. <laughs> I'm at iglen31 and getting ready for more work to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm Clark Judge at Clark Judge TOF. Anyway, this is the iTest for Two podcast, and thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.